0: KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. So it was a one-person department. He offered me the job for
1: $17,000. And I said, you know, someday I might want to coach basketball. I really like basketball. And he said, "Will you see those young ladies out there? I said, "Yes." Yeah. they're on the team, and they stink. If you want to coach them, you can coach them. And I said, would there be any additional compensation? He said, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll say a massive month for you.
0: And our guest this week, Tom Shirley, longtime head women's basketball coach and athletic director at Division II Jefferson University, formerly Philadelphia University, formerly Philadelphia Textile. Coach, thanks so much for coming in. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Getting ready for your 31st year at Jefferson and your 39th year as a head coach. Does that seem possible? No. It seems like I was 26 yesterday and... Father Gambit said, Do you want to
1: coach the women's team at Allentown College? And I said yes, so I don't know where the years went.
0: So as we're talking here, the school year has just started. What's your day-to-day like until you really get into the grind of a season?
1: Well, we kind of talk about uh, the terminology of sprinting and jogging and walking. So the summer is obviously a little bit of a walk, and then Come 4th of July, you start turning it into a jog. And now we're in the sprint mode and uh, athletic events actually start tomorrow uh, by NCAA Division II rules. So we'll go full board with the ball sports and that'll conclude around Halloween. But most of my day is, uh, I consider myself a fireman. Everybody comes in and asks for two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. Uh, Students come back. Students always have some level of issues. Coaches have issues. So a lot of it is is, um, preparing for Next year already, as well as just trying to run the day to day of things right now.
0: Mentioned basketball coach and athletic director. What would you say is the split day to day of coach? A, your role as coach, your role as athletic director, and I obviously I would imagine that that ratio shifts during the season, but on average,
1: well, I, I think at the in the non season, I'm probably eighty five percent athletic director and fifteen percent coach, and then when the season starts to swing in. I'm probably spending three to three and a half hours a day in some basketball-related activity. Uh, I try to stop the day about an hour before practice starts, and I try to go an hour after practice just to evaluate things. So the practice is usually two hours. So it just depends on what time of the day. But I would say overall it's probably a 75-25 AD
0: split. And it's interesting because I've been in your office as your. Counting down, you know, the kids are out warming up for a game and you're sitting there dealing with a crisis with soccer or with volleyball. I, I mean, at this point, you know the lay of the land and you know, but how difficult when you first became an AD was that when you're trying to get focused in on playing Felician and, you know, somebody's yeah. budget number came in wrong or the uniforms didn't get delivered, stuff like that?
1: I think when I was a young man, Everything that came to my desk was a major priority, and I tried to handle everything immediately. And now, as I've aged, I've learned what really is important and has to be taken care of now, what can be delayed for a period of time. And the other thing is I think when I first started, I was not as much of a delegator as I am now. I tried to do it all myself. And now realizing that I have really good people that I work with, you're able to kind of move that off to – a Rose Kelly or a Casey Urkuski or a Rob Nelson and let them take care of it as well and let them report back to you. So I, I think uh, with maturity and age comes wisdom.
0: So you are a local, Plymouth-White Marsh High School, correct? Born and raised
1: in Roxborough, right next to East Falls where I am employed, uh, and then moved to Plymouth Meeting to the suburbs when I graduated from eighth grade. Uh, broke my heart that I didn't get to go to Roman Catholic High School and then became a Colonial at PW, graduating in 72.
0: What was your earliest basketball memory?
1: My earliest basketball memory was playing CYO basketball for Holy Family grade school at North Flight Boys Club, which is still there. I think it's called a community center now. And Speedy Morris and John O'Connor were really the first two people that I interacted with. Of course, John was my coach, but Speedy Marsh was his best friend and the coach at Roman Catholic High School. So to to be able to go down and watch Roman play on a Sunday was probably as good as watching the Sixers or watching the Super Bowl because I was just in awe of those kids as well as those two coaches. And those men, without question, shaped my life to a love of basketball.
0: So that love of basketball, how long do
1: you play? Uh, I played... In seventh and eighth grade, but I wasn't very good, but I was on the team. And then I played at Plymouth White Marsh High School for three years and then realized in my fourth year I would not play much, so I played CYO basketball. And then I played beer league basketball till I was 60. And uh, I watched Aaron Mayer, who you know well, uh, rip her ACL, and I watched her recovery. And it was so hard and so challenging that I said, I can't do this personally. So I went through
0: last night, I hung off the sneaks, and— <laughs> haven't played since when did coaching become something that you thought was going to be a direction
1: i really didn't think it was when i left college in 76 uh, graduating from allentown college i went to work at ford motor company because my father told me that's what i should do spent about four and a half years there and i really didn't like the corporate concept i didn't like the fact that i'd have to move i kind of knew i was going to stay a neighborhood guy And I wrote letters to schools saying, I just want to be in athletics. I want to do something in sport. And the next thing you know, uh, Father Gambit, who was the president of Allentown College, called me and said he had an opening for athletic director. So now back then, understand athletic director meant you opened the building, you closed the building, you were the SID, you were the equipment person. So it was a one-person department. He offered me the job for $17,000. I remember being in what was going to be my office and looking out. And I said, you know, someday I might want to coach basketball. I really like basketball. And he said, well, you see those young ladies out there? I said, yeah. He said, they're on the team and they stink. And if you want to coach them, you can coach them. And I said, would there be any additional compensation? He said, absolutely. I'll say a mass a month for you. So that was my start of my career. Uh, My girlfriend slash fiance now 38-year-wife Monica, said, go do what's going to make you happy, and that's how I landed at downtown college, coaching women's basketball.
0: So you start your career as a women's basketball coach. Where did you start, and what did you not know, and did you realize at that early age, that early, what you didn't know? That's a good question. Uh, I started out as director of athletics, so, of course, I had
1: to learn that job as well as learn – the basketball job and the irony is <clears throat> I took my first practice on October 15th, got married on October 23rd and took a week's vacation in Florida after that. So I really missed the first week of two weeks, if you will. So um, I don't think the very first year or second year I knew that I wasn't very smart. I've just kind of incorporated some basic things that I learned in high school, learned in college, and of course learned from Speedy Morris and John O'Connor and that was kind of my system. It was the second year after I had, uh, I think the first year we were 17 and 11, and I think we were 11 and 17, that I realized it's all about recruiting. So once I started to get recruits in, and I usually went to the local schools around our area, then I also started to go to coaches clinics. And I started to realize at that point in time that Really, when you develop the Tom Shirley system or the Speedy Marsh system or the Herb McGee system, you've just stole from a lot of people over the years or reinvented what they've showed you. So I think that's really my third or fourth year is when I really started to get smart enough to realize I had to lean on other people and I had to do some recruiting.
0: Was there an aha moment? Like you mentioned, you realize recruiting and you start to put the system in. But do you really, do you remember a moment when it started to crystallize, like, wow, this this is going to work. This is going to be good. And the
1: answer to that is the first practice that I saw Lynn Butler, who's now Lynn Tubman, uh, play for us. I had recruited her out of Bishop Kenrick High School because she had a nice jump shot. But when she got up there, she started as a freshman. She's still their all-time winning scorer. She was a three-time All-American. And at that moment, I realized that if you have the right players in the right positions running the right stuff, you're going to be successful. And Consequently, we went on to recruit Tina Costello out of St. Hubert's and Karen Pavish out of Upper Marion, And they were all on the same team, all 1,000-point scorers. Lynn was a 2,000-point scorer. And um, we won a lot of games with that group. So that's probably the moment is recruiting uh, Nancy Irwin first out of Kennedy and then Lynn Butler out of Kenrick.
0: What? How exciting was it when it starts to, you get these players in the system, you see the potential, you see how good it is. I mean, everybody loves to win, but from a coaching standpoint and from a career standpoint, how exciting was it for you that, like, this this is it, this is what it's all about? I think it gets exciting when you go to practice
1: and you put in what you think is going to work and you watch it in practice, and it looks good in practice, but then when you get into the game and you're actually watching the tape later and you see that they're running what you asked them to do and you're seeing that what you thought would happen happens, That's exciting because it's like that's my part of the cake. Like I didn't make the whole cake, but I made some part of it. And when you see your part work and you see the recruits work, that's really exciting. And the thing I like about this the most is, you know, if I was to be a car salesman, it may take me three months to finalize a deal. These deals are closed in 90 minutes. So, you know, at the end of the day, you won or you lost. And that's how you're judged, winning or losing. So, I like that part of it and I like As
0: they say, uh, I think it was Major League, uh, when a plan comes together, looks pretty good. And it's interesting because I talked to, and no offense, but you said you weren't a very good basketball player, but when I talk to people that were high level, one of the things they often say they struggle with as a coach is not understanding why you can't do X, Y, and Z because it came so easy to them. Do you think the fact that you weren't a star athlete has helped you in a coach that you have an appreciation for how difficult it can be to go from A to B to C?
1: That's another good question. I think the answer to that is it gave me a much better appreciation for making sure you took care of the whole team. Not having been a star, I think it was. it's important to make sure you're taking care of your Lynn Butler's and your Nancy Irwin's and your Christine Wooding's and your Jess Kaminsky's, but you also have to make sure the team is happy. The chemistry is right. You're doing things, um, extracurricular activities, that maybe your 11th person is best at. So I think it gave me the opportunity to
0: understand what it is to build an entire team, not just a starting team. So you spent eight years at Allentown before you come to then Textile. Were you looking? Were you ready to take the next step? Or is that a job opportunity that kind of falls in your lap? How'd you, how'd you end up coming back to the area? I saw the job advertised
1: as associate athletic director and head women's basketball coach. And Julie Serrero was the coach at the time who had been to a Final Four and had just left to go to Penn. So all of that looked attractive, plus the opportunity to work at the scholarship level, Division two. So I applied, and it turned out that the athletic director that had just gotten hired was Ted Taylor, who was the AD at Division Three Spring Garden, and we knew each other had a relationship, so I was fortunate enough to get hired. But I think I wanted the job because I wanted to get into Philly basketball, and then I thought working with scholarships could propel me to the next level, thinking, you know, the power five now. And then um, I got there, and I just started to really like the job. And then two and a half years, the athletic director
0: left. They asked me to be the interim, and then I became the AD, and the rest is history. So you come in, and the men's coach is a guy named Herb McGee, who I guess at that point had already been there 20 years as the head coach. Prior to that, obviously, a star had been an assistant, a star player. I think most people listening probably know how big Herb is there. what was it like coming in with the the men's coach so well-established? And was that uh, a challenge? Or I don't say a challenge. Because they're at such a high level, did you feel you had to get you had to win right away? What was that dynamic like? Well, I think there was certainly a factor of intimidation.
1: I mean, everyone had heard about Herb McGee. Everyone knew his legacy. He won a national championship at, I think, 27 or 28 years old. But I always tell this story because I think it's pretty funny. My first encounter with Coach McGee, was on October 15th, 1989, when I walked into his office. And I said, Coach, I just want to get clear how the practice schedule works. And he said, I got great news for you. He goes, you have 22 hours a day on the floor. And I said, okay, what are they? And he says, well, I go 4.30 to 6.30 on the weekdays, and I go 9 to 11 on the weekends. I said, so you pretty much have the prime time. He goes, I do. And I said, well, you're aware of Title IX and equality in sports. And he says, well, are you aware of 600 wins? So – I kind of feel I like realized right away I was going to be in the back of the bus. So, uh, of course, we got along and things are great and we've been together for 31 years. And, but it was uh, and also an opportunity to watch his practices, watch how he handled himself, watch the things that he ran. And obviously, you have to take advantage of that when you're talking to someone who's a future Hall of Famer.
0: You had success at Allentown. You come in here and you mentioned Allentown, now to sales was Division Three. This was this is Division Two. Was that a big difference as far as the type of kid you're recruiting and maybe some of the ancillary things that go along with being a a coach and athletic director, or was it a pretty seamless transition?
1: Well, the first thing I learned was when I was at Division Three Allentown, there weren't many parents seeking me out because they all thought their daughters were Division I or Division Two, and of course that's a scholarship level. As soon as I got to textile I got more popular with the parents because now they knew we had scholarship money and they certainly wanted a piece of that. So that was the first thing I really had to deal with was the parents. And then the second thing was trying to eyeball the talent to say, are the people that I recruited at Allentown College going to work at Textile? And initially, that was my plan that you just have to go out and get the same kids. But uh, you could see early on that it was a little more position specific where at Allentown, you could get five pretty good basketball players and put them together. Now at this level, you needed to get to the point where you had a legitimate center and you had someone that was a legitimate point guard, a legitimate shooter. So you're, you're kind of looking to be a little bit more of a specialist at this level than you were at the Division three level. So those were probably the first two things that I learned. And then the third thing is, and I warn our new coaches all the time, is you don't want to spend money like a drunken sailor in your first year. You have to be smart. You have to spread your money out over four years. You've got to assess the market value. If someone's being recruited by certain schools versus bigger time schools, you
0: have to spend appropriate money. So th- those were my early lessons. When you take the job at Textile, do you take it thinking this is a place that I could see myself, I don't know if anyone says I see myself for the next 30-plus years, but did you take that with an eye towards this is where I really want to settle in for, for, for a, a good part of my future? No, I did not. I took that job aspiring to be
1: a Division One head coach, um, hopefully locally, but I think early on before we had children, I thought I would go wherever the job was, but I think I got there in uh, 89 and my daughters were very young at that point and it just got to the point where I really liked the job. Uh, no one at Textile Jefferson has really ever told me what to do. I mean, I certainly have supervisors and I have to do what I have to do but I've, I've had the freedom to do what I think was right I have had the freedom to coach the way I wanted to coach and as I got older and I watched some coaches get fired some coaches travel all around the country I just felt that I wanted to stay in the neighborhood I wanted to stay with my friends that I had growing up my friends that I had met as an adult and that location was important to me it was important to my wife and we thought it was important for our children
0: Time to take a break on one on one. We will continue our conversation with Jefferson University's Tom Shirley right after this. When there's no closure to the mystery and the sorrow, Gone Cold is KYW News Radio's true crime podcast about unsolved cases in the Philadelphia area. Someone has to know. What happened? And who did this? We searched the wooded area. We searched dumpsters. Someone's life ended tonight. It's the most important thing you can investigate as a police officer. Who has the clue that unlocks the truth? Search for Gone Cold, KYW, in the Radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back on One on One. Our guest this week, Jefferson University women's basketball coach and athletic director Tom Shirley. So 777 wins you have as a head coach, if my math is correct. And uh, in case it doesn't get mentioned, you and Herb McGee are the winningest combo in, in anywhere in the NCAA. You've combined for 1,873 wins. When did you start becoming cognizant of statistics like that? I mean, 777, that's a lot of victories. That's a lot of basketball. Uh, When did, was there a first woe moment when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, do you know that was X number?
1: You know, in the sport of basketball, at least every hundred, they honor you for whatever reason. So I think early on, it really, I wasn't very cognizant of it and it really didn't mean much. But I think the year that I was approaching 500 and then someone started to put it into perspective about how many people have reached 500 and at what levels and then how many wins you have, across all three divisions, then I started to kind of step back and say, well, I guess that's pretty good, but it also means you're getting older and it also means you're aging. The the one thing that's really important to me personally, and it's probably the only thing, is that when I'm done, whenever that's going to be, I would like to divide by 20 and say that we've won 20 games a year. So, you know, 800 wins, 40 years, just because I think it's really important for me to say that, you know, we were consistent. It wasn't that we won 11, then we won 21, then we won 8, then we won 30. We pretty much averaged 21s a year. I think that speaks well to the kids that we recruit, the way that we play, and the support we get from the university. But I think 500 was probably when I started to to think about it. But you can't focus on it. You just got to keep moving, especially when the guy in front of you has got 400 more than you. (laughs) It's like you're the JV
0: coach, and he's the varsity guy, so just shut up and keep coaching. You've had a lot of great players come through the program, and you mentioned Lynn Tubman at Allentown, and I guess if we're going to talk greats, and like I said, you've had a lot of them, you've got to start with Tammy Green uh, at, at Philly U Textile. Tell people who aren't familiar how special she was and how you got her into the program. So Tammy Green was a 1990
1: graduate of Plymouth White Marsh High School, the same school I went to. And Pat Campbell was the principal at the time and had been my homeroom teacher. And she actually asked me to come up and counsel Tammy because Cam- Tammy had kind of gotten off the path in her junior year. So I went up and just offered some consult to Tammy and her parents and her coach. And as time went on, she got recruited by some Division One schools. And right at the end of her year, when she hadn't made a decision, her grandmother sat in the room and and said, "To Tammy, you're going with that man," and pointed to me. And she said, "What?" She goes, "You're just going with that man. That man will take care of you." So that's what she came because her grandmother told her to come. And she's the only player that has started for me as a a true freshman. And um, she was first team all league that year and. Uh, Went on to be MVP of the league for three years, All-American for three years. I mean, she just—she wound up with 2,490 points and is still the all-time leading scorer in the history of the school. But um, probably a couple quick stories on Tammy. When she went out to the jump circle for the first game of her sophomore year, she went over and bumped into Dawn Ellison from Mercy College, who was the reigning MVP of the league. And she said, you're Dawn Ellison, right? And Tammy—and Dawn said, yes. And she goes, you MVP? And the one said, yes. She goes, I'll be taking that. And I think it just portrayed the confidence that Tammy had. And and, and just telling a quick story was in her late senior year, she got in player of the week seven weeks in a row, and the coach from St. Rose was not happy. He thought it was kind of fixed. So I mentioned it to her in the locker room and at the end of the game, and it's the only player that ever did this. She comes out of the game with a minute and 11 left, up 30, and she walks the other way and goes down the old – textile court towards the stage and comes down past the coach at St. Rose and whispers in his ear. So I asked her what she had to say. And she goes, I congratulate him on a well-played game. And after the game, I said, uh, coach Bailey, what did she say? She wanted to know if 38 was enough for the eighth player of the week, but that was the cockiness and the attitude that Tammy green brought to the table. But she graduated on time. She got a degree. She's an accountant in Florida and she's doing great. And, um, uh, was definitely uh, the poster child of our program.
0: And how does getting somebody like that, I mean, it elevates the program, but it doesn't just elevate for the four years because now all of a sudden you're getting probably getting into living rooms you weren't getting in before and yeah. stuff like that. When You
1: you know you, you always have to talk to players about if do you want to come to Division two and have the type of career that Jess Kaminsky just had, or do you want to go to Division I and be a rotation player and you know, maybe play in the Big East or maybe play in the Atlantic 10. So how do you want your career to be remembered? And when you have players like Tammy and Samara Speaks and Teresa Carroll, um, you know, those people help you get in the living rooms because they're local kids and we've always recruited locally. And it's like, and I think it got to the point where at least we should look at it, where before Tammy, we weren't even getting an
0: invitation. And you mentioned you recruit local. That is something you're hyper local. I mean, of your teams, you get stars from all over the, the Catholic League, public league, stuff like that. Was there ever a thought of recruiting on a more national scale or even more regional scale? Or was it something you thought, you know, at Philadelphia, this is such a hotbed, I can mine this and we're going to be really good? You know, what, Matt, uh, people say that to me all
1: the time. And one of the reasons I never recruited more than local was because of being athletic director. My time commitments are so stringent that it's really tough for me to drive up to Rochester, New York, or, you know, fly down to Georgia or, so I just always, you know, work, can I get to Carroll tonight? Can I get to Wood tonight? Can I get to, you know, Martin Luther King tonight and go out and see these kids play locally and still get home at a reasonable hour and at that time maybe help put my kids to bed, so. It really was just an outgrowth of how, of the demands of being athletic director more than my unwillingness to
0: travel. Mention all the players you've had come through. You've also had one of your daughters come through the program. Kristen, what was that like to coach your daughter? Was it difficult? Like uh, where does dad start and coach, be, yeah. coach end and, and such? Was it a difficult uh, – I don't want to say difficult like it was a – tough thing but But, there had to be some challenges Kristen played in at North Penn High School um, was
1: was not a was a rotation player didn't really play very much and when she came to the school I explained to her her that her place would probably be with the second group and she understood that and I would say the first week of practices I was coaching like her father and I was picking on her more than other people and then it didn't help that she got reported by the security for being at a party, but other than that I'll bring that up. But <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh I think after that week one of my assistants said to me, you know, you gotta coach twelve kids, not eleven and your daughter. And I took that to heart and at that point after that it was, you know, what stays in their locker room stays in their locker room. What I have as a coach stays with me and then we'll we'll work together. But uh, but I loved having her with us. Uh, I, I kept individual pictures at different times and put them in a scrapbook. So it was a, a great
0: memory and a great experience for me. 26-20 win seasons. and You talked about the importance of 20 win seasons. You've taken Jefferson to the NCAA tournament uh, nine times. But I feel like as somebody who's watched your program the last 10 years or so, you were always good. But I feel like the last five years, it's been a, a different Level. You had one down year when I think a couple, like one class graduated for the other one really came, came into their own. But do you feel that? Do you feel like the last five years or so you've been at a, a different level? Because what used to be a 2021 win season, now you're 27, 28, 29. I think a couple things have happened. I think
1: that as time has gone by and our staff has grown a little bit, I've been able to do more delegating of things and I've been able to spend more time on basketball, particularly watching film. I think you can learn a lot when you watch film, not only our film, but their film. So that's been one thing. I think the other thing is we've utilized that red shirt rule pretty well, where we're sitting kids out like Jess Kaminsky, like Kate Cunningham, like Alina Williams. And when we get them back in their last year, they're 22, 23 years older, more mature. They're more physically strong. So I think those things have helped us as well. And I think we've had some stability in our assistant coaching staff and, that's really important because then relationships grow and breakdown drills get better. and So I think, me, really, I'm probably able to spend more time with the program, and I think that's paid dividends. But recruiting's been the same. And, and some kids, and I keep bringing up her name, but I don't think any of us thought Jess Kaminsky in her freshman year would be Jess Kaminsky in her senior year. So some of it's the work the kids put in and the growth that they make uh, on on and off the court.
0: And I, I was going to give you my next question, not so much about Jess, who— just graduated and I think was top four in program history and like points, rebounds, yeah, steals, assists, like, yeah. Yeah. you know, across the board. But how often are you surprised with a kid uh, going past maybe what you thought the the ceiling was? Or do you find that you're pretty much, you're pretty much right on, you know, with, with what you think a kid's going to be when they come in to where they are, when they leave.
1: I'd have to say, For the most part, I think I'm pretty much right on with where I think they'll be. But I do think the latter year athletes have been willing to put more time into the gym to try to get better. Like some of them, like, you know, Alina Williams takes it really personal to want to be the best she can be. So you see that start to pay off a little bit. And I think the other part of that is we're winning even more. And I think they really want to chase that. They don't want to be the team that doesn't win 25 games or doesn't get to the NCAA tournament. So I think that the culture is really pretty strong, I think, after 31 years. And I think there's a lot of respect for those that came before, but they also want to be trendsetters, if you will. Like this, this last two classes are 55
0: and nine. That's really important to them to say they're 55 and nine. Have the kids changed? During your time or has just everything around the kids changed? I don't think the kids have changed. I think the parents have changed.
1: And I think AAU has changed. I think that, um, you know, the kids play too much basketball today. I think it's like if, if you work for Hershey foods, you probably don't go home at night and eat chocolate. I think you need a break from the game. I think AAU starts as soon as high school ends and it runs right through the end of July. And I think it's too much. And I think, Um, there's expectations on the part of the parents that you as my child need to help pay for college. And therefore you need to put all this time into the game to get a scholarship to take the load off us as a family. And, you know, some of the players that play today, just they aren't good enough to get a scholarship. And when you tell them that they're offended, but at the same time, I think you try to be truthful because you want young people to find their level where they can play. So, um, no, I don't think the kids really have changed very much, but I think the, the
0: demands on their time have changed significantly. And going along with that, you mentioned the AAU and you know summer teams and stuff like that. When you're recruiting, how much are you basing off of what you see in a high school game as opposed to what you see in other avenues? AAU, you know, whatever. I'm a big fan of the high school
1: games. I think that's where they spend most of their time. That's the the group that they mesh with the most. So I make, make it a very important part of my year to go out and see them play in their high school environment. The problem with AAU, in my opinion, is if you're uh, an inside player, you're tending to get the ball on a rebound. I mean, AAU doesn't tend to play inside out as much as I think they should. It's a lot of guards shooting the ball. But uh, the, other, the two things at AAU, and people laugh at me when I say this, but the number one thing is when you walk into the gym, I, I notice who's carrying the backpack. If the student-athlete's not carrying a backpack, that's a problem. And the second thing is when the parents sneak over to Gatorade behind the bench, that's a problem. Like, there has to be responsibility on these young people to take care of their own equipment, take care of their own juice or soda or whatever, water. They're not drinking soda anymore, but water. Uh, And and I think those are telltale signs, Uh, especially the other thing is when you go to games and you watch the kids look up in the stands and take signals from their parents. I mean, that's really not what we're looking for as coaches. We want them to be
0: paying attention to us and do the things we ask them to do. So conversely, or going along with you know, what you watch, because it's interesting, there's what you're watching on the court and then there's everything ancillary you're watching. Have you been far along with a kid and then you see stuff and you're like, you know what, I, I think we're okay. Or Do you get a good feel early on for the, the type of kid that, that you're dealing with?
1: I can honestly say we really haven't cut ties with a kid late in the recruiting process. I mean, I think if you do your homework in the beginning and you talk to the high school coach, I always say the first thing I want to know is, is she a good kid? And if they say, you know, she's a good kid, she shows up one time, she works hard, she's a good student, that's what you're worried about. And then obviously some conversations with the AAU people, and then you just want to talk to the student athlete, and you certainly want their parents on campus when you have a visit, and you, you get a pretty good feel at that point in time. and. We really haven't had any issues. Uh, The big thing I try to tell them all the time is they have to see us play because they're either better than us, they're as good as us, or they're not as good as us. And they have to to take an honest evaluation. And I tell them all the time that if we decide you're not a scholarship athlete for our level, we're going to tell you. And if you decide we're not a school for you, you need to tell us. So sometimes that's a hard part of the story, but – I think if you identify a young person early on and you like them, it, they pretty much, you know, hold serve, if you will, the rest of the recruiting process.
0: We talked earlier about, you know, the quote unquote Tom Shirley system. Everybody's got their system. If you were to tell somebody what your system, what, what do you consider the hallmarks X and O wise of what has led to your success? What would you consider the, the pillars of the, the Tom Shirley system? The first thing I would tell you is that
1: it's a democratic dictatorship. Like we'll have discussions and then when we settle upon what we're doing, that's what we're doing. I think the second thing is that we're scripted from the standpoint that the first few options are there for people to take, but you also have to be able to make a play. So you have to have the individual ability and we call it September. You got to be able to play September basketball where you can break somebody down and get a shot, come off a pick and roll, whatever the case would be. So they're really the the main things that we try to do. And I also think that we work on the rope system. So someone coming in the game off the bench as seventh or eighth person that makes one or two mistakes are probably coming out. But a kid like uh, Williams or Kaminsky make a mistake. You got to give them a little more rope because you know what they can do at the end of the day. And I think players understand their level of rope. They're always looking to earn more rope. But I think they're the probably
0: the key points of you said to me, you know. How do you play? That's how we play. We mentioned 777 victories. Are there one or two that stand out? Are there victories that when you look back at the mosaic of your career at this point that you say, that was special, that was special?
1: Well, as Coach McGee said, it's really hard to win a game, so every win is special. But I think there's two, and one was... Uh, and I re- forget the year. I think it's somewhere around 2009. We played Dominican at home. In fact, I think you missed that game, Matt, <laughs> for a triple overtime victory. And Amanda and Kate Brennan had 60 points. And I think that was a, a special, special group. Um, Steph Agger was on that team, who just coached with Coach McGee this year. And the second one had to be this year, beating Sciences 74-73 in overtime for the championship game. I, I when I look back, there the two of the bigger games. And then uh, we were down 20 points at home the day that Samara Speaks got her 2,000th point in, in the old textile gym. And I think that was a memorable day, memorable occasion as well. But they're probably the top three games I remember.
0: And you mentioned uh, earlier the stability of your staff. You The staff you've had the last few years has been together. And then for a long portion of your career, you had a gentleman named Paul Stadelberger, who was your your top assistant, went on to end up, he head, was the head coach at Sciences for a few years. What did having somebody you could lean on like Paul for decades mean to your development as a coach and development of a program? You know, you talked about it early in my career. I think that's one of the things
1: I was probably missing was that, um, you know, Batman and Robin combination. And when Paul came along and stayed for 20 years, he certainly filled that role. He was, you know, he was one that would agree with me, but also disagree. And we, we would go back and forth and Sometimes it would be just, you know what, Paul, I'm so frustrated. You do whatever you want to do type of thing. And more than often it was successful. And now with Matt and Jimmy and Jen, I mean, Jen's been there eight years and Jimmy and Matt for five. And it's been a good group. I think um, bringing some youth into the program is good. Uh, Certainly having a female assistant is terrific to to work with the young ladies in situations where maybe they're not as comfortable talking to a male coach. But it's been critical. And I think as I've gotten older and smarter – you've given more responsibilities to your assistants to let them grow as individuals, a la Mike West, who went on the Chesson Hill and now on the Hostra. So um, I I certainly think some of our success is just part of my age and my growth and letting other people do things
0: because they're equally talented. Are there any holes in your coaching resume, in your opinion? Is there anything that you still strive for? I mean, you're always striving to win and win championships, but— In the whole, is there something that you would still like to accomplish that you haven't yet that you you think would really add to another line?
1: Yeah, I think if you were an outsider looking at my resume, the one thing that you would uh, objectively criticize is we have not had a lot of NCAA success. We've gotten there, but we've struggled to get out of the first round. In a lot of cases, because the teams are better. Uh, In some cases, just because we maybe didn't play our best or or, were not as prepared as we should have been, but... I'd like to see us make a few more runs at the NCAA tournament and win a few games and try to get into the little deeper into the tournament.
0: And you mentioned Sciences. They've got a fine coach now and Jackie Hartzell, and, and Paul did a great job when he was there. But Jackie's kind of taken it to a, a level Agreed. of where you are, and they've made some runs in the tournament. And one thing that's been very interesting the last couple of years is you guys have really developed a, a good rivalry just of quality basketball, and it's a rivalry – that has started to turn heads in the city. Like, there's a little bit of a buzz in the basketball community when you guys... And for Division II basketball, Division II women's basketball, that is really impressive. Do you feel that? I do, and I think the interesting thing is uh,
1: we both recruit kind of from the same pools. I mean, I think there were uh, three or four North Penn kids on the floor this year, a couple Wood kids on the floor, and the the irony of the whole thing is is, you know, we look at the Northeast 10 Conference a lot as being the, the marquee conference, and they're all full-time coaches, and uh, Jackie's a part-time coach, and essentially I'm a part-time coach. So I think for for both of us to be able to do what our teams have done uh, speaks well. But I do think uh, this year, you broadcast the game from our gym, it was packed. I mean, it was really crowded to see a Division two college women's game, and I do think um the fact that we're recruiting locally and the fact that we've both been successful has, is causing a buzz. And yes, I do see it.
0: One thing you had to deal with that's a bit unusual is the it, when going from Philadelphia University to now Jefferson, obviously you, there was the merger with Thomas Jefferson. How difficult was that? Maybe not from a coaching, obviously coaching standpoint, but from an administrative standpoint. And I don't even want to say difficult. Was it challenging? Was it smooth? How was it?
1: Well, I think it's always challenging when you make change. I, I think that the uh, the initial meetings between Dr. Spinelli and Dr. Clasco were really genius in retrospect because I do think it really uh, took Philadelphia University to the next level to be part of the Jefferson Enterprise. Dr. Clasco is a major sports fan. he's really appreciates having athletics uh, as part of the enterprise, and I think that uh, we're just going to continue to grow and grow. So I think it was a great move. For the city, I think it was a great
0: move for Jefferson and a great move for Philadelphia University. So, And we're really, really happy to be a part of it. How much do you treasure being a part of the Philadelphia basketball community? Because I think it is a community unlike anywhere else in the country. I really do. I think it's very, very special. I,
1: I enjoy it. Uh, I talk about it all the time. Um, just when you watch what some of these coaches do, and especially the coaches for cancer and the things that Phil Martelli did and things that Fran Dunphy did, it's just a it's a pleasure to know these people it's a pleasure to be um, just a a part of the people that even make it successful the administrative staff the support staff so i i'm i'm blessed to have been in this city working for 31 years and growing up here i i, I wouldn't i would never do it different if i could do it over
0: Final question, when it's over, whenever it's over and people look back on your coaching career, what do you hope they take away from it? Well, I hope they take away
1: that we were consistent and we won a good number of games every year. I hope they take away that we did things the right way, that we put the student-athlete first, we focused on academics, we focused on graduation, and we focused on helping them get a place in society. I mean, when you really break down these basketball games, they're they're not as important sometimes as everybody makes them out to be. They're just a recreational activity for which the kids are financially rewarded. But at the end of the day, it's about you know what kind of women they become, what kind of relationships they get into, what kind of careers they have, and that that's really the most important thing.
0: So I hope they would say that we did it the right way. Tom Shirley, Jefferson University women's basketball coach and athletic director. Thanks so much for stopping by. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate being here. And that will do it for this week's show. One-on-one is an original KYW News Radio sports podcast. If you like the show and want to help us out, make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss an episode. And you can help more people find out about the podcast by finding the show on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one-on-one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Leon 1060 Want to thank Tom Shirley, athletic director and women's basketball coach, at Jefferson University for coming in this week. My name is Matt Leon. Come back next week for another good conversation with someone you should know more about.